this time every Friday. We go across to the States and speak to Kevin Cullen of the Boston Globe to see what is making the headlines in the USA. Good afternoon, Kevin. How are you, Jonathan? Very well, well, I'm better now. A little bit sicker earlier in the week, but I'll tell you, my mood was brightened by uh, the the burning question that everyone has in relation to who will be the next president of the United States, and and that is how funny their one-liners are. (laughs) They really went all out last night. Let's have a listen. I'm uh, glad to be able to join in this uh, venerable tradition. Of course, I'm I'm pleased that the president's here. We were chatting pleasantly this evening as if Tuesday night never happened. I was actually hoping the president would bring Joe Biden along uh, this evening because he'll laugh at anything. Everyone, please take your seats. Uh, otherwise, Plain East will, uh, will yell at them. People seem to be very curious as to how we prepare for the debates. Let me tell you what I do. First, refrain from alcohol for 65 years before the debate. (laughs) Second, find the biggest available straw man and then just mercilessly attack it. Big Bird didn't even see it coming. And by the way, in in the spirit of Sesame Street, the President's remarks tonight are brought to you by the letter O and the number 16 trillion. This is the third time that uh, Governor Romney and I have met recently. Uh, As some of you may have noticed, uh, I had a lot more energy in our second debate. Uh, I felt really well rested after the nice long nap I had in the first debate. Now, to be fair, there was a couple of good lines in there, but if I had to pick one, Romney was a little funnier. He was funny, although I thought the president's best line. You know, Mitt Romney's... Mitt is his middle name. His name is Willard, and Mitt is his uh, the middle name which he uses. And, of course, you know that uh, Barack uh, Obama's middle name is Hussein, and he made the remark, I wish I could use my middle name, which was really funny, and I thought got a, a more play here because there's still the birther movement out there that consistently suggests that President Obama is a Muslim and was born outside of the United States and is not a legitimate president. So it, that was the one line that I noticed on the American newscast was being played over and over again. That, that, I think Americans got that. It was a weird audience, though. This was a, it a, was a, a, a Catholic organization involving rich people. Exactly, yeah. It's named for Al Smith, who was the first presidential candidate, a Catholic uh, candidate back in the 20s, and uh, it, it, it raises money for Catholic charity. So you had, you know, the Mormon presidential candidate and the ultimate Baptist Protestant uh, candidate uh, standing up there for Catholic Charities organization, surrounded by Irish Catholic millionaires, I'll have you know. <laughs> they should have sent the other two with their Irish ancestry. They might have got on a little bit better with the crowd that was there. Um, when's the next big debate? That There's only one left between the two, isn't yeah, it's there? Yeah, it's next week, yeah. And it's, uh, it's all to play for at that point, because uh, Obama, the, the polling numbers that we mentioned briefly the other day, it, it, had, it did show that Obama got a little bump out of it. And he increased his lead in a couple of the battleground states. Uh, but it's still, everything is within the margin of errors. This thing is really, really close. So this third and final debate will be very critical. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one to watch. Uh, we'll talk to you maybe afterwards, Kevin, to see how the yeah. two guys got on. Uh, one story that you've worked a lot on over the years, and we've spoken to you a lot about it as well, is it's the Boston College IRA mm-hmm. tapes. And, and there's been a development in that this week. What is it? Yeah, well, it, it's very surprising, actually, Jonathan. You know, this was gone the last, basically, last-ditch effort that Ed Maloney and Anthony McIntyre, the uh, Irish-based researchers in the project, who, who are resisting turning over these tapes, 
they went to the Supreme Court, and I don't know anyone here who really thought they had a shot. But there's one member of the court named Stephen Breyer, one of the nine justices. He tends to he's he's in the liberal wing of the court, and he has just granted um, a stay so that they do not have to turn over these tapes until the court decides whether it will hear the whole case itself. Now that's remarkable. I don't think anybody in the legal community thought these guys had a chance. And the fact that Breyer would issue that stay, I was actually talking to one of the attorneys yesterday on the case. He actually has represented the Boston Globe on a number of First Amendment issues. He thinks that Breyer, the only reason Breyer would do this is that Breyer is actually lobbying the other members of the court to take this case on. That obviously not beyond the Boston College, the ramifications for Boston College, and in fact for Jerry Adams, who's been implicated in these tapes, Beyond those ramifications is the whole idea of, of research, of oral history, and whether, in fact, people can make promises of confidentiality in that. Clearly, Breyer thinks this is a case that should hear, that the entire court, the highest court in the land, should hear, and that's something he's working on because he would not have granted that stay. So basically, nothing's going to happen until the court decides one way or the other whether they're going to hear this case. And the lawyer I talked to yesterday suggests that will not happen until early next year, probably sometime around February. And even then, would it be concluded at that point, or would it be just entering another long legal process? I'm guessing that, like the Supreme Court here, the Supreme Court in the States takes a long time to consider these matters. Well, actually, it's interesting that what it, the, the big hurdle in the United States Supreme Court is just to get served, as they call it, and have it heard. But once they decide to hear it, they get to it pretty quickly. Uh, and they generally, you know, they will report out within the year. So this case could actually come to a head sometime, say, June or July. That's very often when these cases are, are released by the court. But the court takes very, very few cases. So the actual turnaround is quick. Okay, we'll watch that one as well. I have to say, when I read the next story yesterday morning, um, I got a fright because I, I got confused. I thought Enda Kenny might have been responsible for it, but he was on <laughs> Time magazine. It's Newsweek yeah. that's ending its print run. Um, this is pretty significant. That News, Newsweek is a venerable uh, publication, and uh, they've decided that, that there's no money in it anymore. They're going all online. Yeah. As an ink-stained wretch, this is very hard to talk about. <laughs> but, um, you know, there were always three main... Newsweeklies in America. Obviously, Time was the biggest one. Newsweek was the second biggest. And then there was U.S. Weekly News and World Report. That third item has really become more or less a tip sheet for colleges and universities. That's how they survive. And now Newsweek is going to the great beyond. Um, and, and that's a lot of it, It's one of these sad moments, but it's also not unentirely uh, expected because when uh, Tina Brown, the, the British uh, editor who took over that, it's called the Daily Beast, which is a, is a just a blog site, a news site, an internet site. Newsweek was sort of tacked on, and um, she really didn't care about it. She really didn't want it, and it was only a matter of time before it was. A, but the the other reality here, Jonathan, is that in the United States, in the internet age, in the twenty four hour news cycle, the idea of a printed uh, weekly news magazine in which you're going to capture your, what has happened in the past week. The timing just doesn't work. I mean, general circulation newspapers like the New York Times, the Boston Globe, the Wall Street Journal, they have their own difficulties, but at least mm. the, everything is daily. It's moving every day. The idea of having a weekly printed news magazine. Re the other interesting aspect of this, because I was talking to people who were involved in this, is that one thing that has happened in the last 10 years is Newsweek has really just declined 
The Economist has sold many more copies in the United States in the past 10 years. They've actually seen a growth. Okay, uh, so, so maybe they were is, doing it wrong. I mean, that's the other side of well, it. Maybe it's the fact that the direction that they've taken photoshopping Princess Diana onto a front page and calling mm-hmm. Obama the first gay president, maybe they just made really bad editorial decisions and this is the public reaction to it. That has been one level, uh, criticism leveled at them, that they became actually a, sort of like a online, the way they, they were... They were getting too catchy, they were getting too flip, they were getting too trite, and they became almost what you could find on the Internet for free anywhere. And that is a, a legitimate criticism. And, and the other thing is that the, the, the stories just got shorter and shorter, and, and, the, and the pages got thinner and thinner. And then the, the, the bane of anybody that's printing anything in this country is that, is that uh, advertising has just morphed to the web. Hmm. And so they've lost it on both ends. Okay, Kevin, I'll leave you go back to your printing press. Kevin Cullen of the Boston Globe, we'll talk to you next week.